kind of old-fashioned cop who preferred working the streets and making arrests to taking tests toward promotion. He was the closest thing New York had to a dirty Harry. This is One Tough Podcast on the OG Podcast Network. Here's your host, Bo Deedle. First of all, welcome to One Tough Podcast. I'm joined, like always, with Carlo. Hello, everybody. Yeah, today we have somebody that I'm very impressed. He's probably the hardest working guy at my old uh, my old home over there in Fox. I was over there 12 years as a contributor, and I used to do Brian's show in the morning. All the time. Fox and Friends, I watch it every morning. You guys got a great crew there, and I love each one of them, including yourself. And uh, you know, you do your own nationally syndicated radio show, and I've been on that also over there in the uh, Fox News family, and you're part of uh, ABC. Yeah, WABC carries uh, 10 to noon. We're on 9 to noon, so right after Fox and Friends run up, 906. Start the three-hour show, and thanks to Trump and impeachment, we have a lot of lives. So we're going in and out of all this. I crazy. listen to you every and day. And the NATO stuff is. I listen to you every day. Talk about hard work. So what is that? Six hours a day? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Oh, you talk about someone hard work. Well, you know the other guy, his little buddy there, my dear friend. Are you going to his Christmas party? Our friend Sean. He's having it at the drunken Irish place. No, I have been invited. Up. I did not make the cut. Oh, my God. We Sean Hannity. You got to see if, you, see if it's, you have a plus one, you can bring it. Yeah, it's a, one of the typical, I'm not going to say where it is, but it's a typical drunken Irish bar. That's what I always say. And they pass around finger food, and everybody gets drunk and spits up on each other. That's a typical Irish party. But that Sounds fun. And Christmas party these days. Yeah, yeah. And Well, that's his Christmas party. But, Brian, you grew up where? Where did you grow up on Long Island? Uh, I grew up in Massapequa, uh, Long Island. I lived in L.A. for about four or five years, but for the most part, I uh, lived there my whole life. Yeah, and what was this Jim Brown show you used to call? Yeah, I used to, when I was out in Los Angeles, did all sports radios, doing mostly sports out there. Is this Jim Brown the famous running back? Yeah. The and greatest of all times? No question. And it was better, more of an impact of an activist. Done at 29 years old, he spent the next uh, 50 years being an activist, making a difference. I mean, can you imagine, and you know this stuff, yeah. you know, can you imagine traveling to Syracuse and you're the best player on the team and you arrive in to go to play one of these down south colleges and they say, yeah, the black players can't stay in this hotel. And then his whole team would leave and stay wow. in the other hotel. And that's how he grew up with, you know, Will Chamberlain and Bill Russell and Muhammad Ali. And they're making a difference yeah. in the country. Well, you know, a lot of people don't know, too. He was the number one lacrosse player in the country. And they had to change the rules because of Jim Brown. He was that overwhelming and yeah, controlling. He used, to keep it to, he used to cradle it too tight to his body. No one could get it loose. Yeah, I met him when I had dinner with him with uh, Merstein, uh, my friend uh, Andrew, Merstein. Andrew Merstein, who was uh, very involved with NASCAR, Jim Brown, <laughs> the great Aaron Hank Aaron had, was up to Rails with me a couple of times. That is my hero. He's a great person. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, lovely so wife. So understated, underappreciated, right? Yeah. Hank Aaron. No one talks about and him. And they got mad at him when he was closing in on the home run record. Mad at him. I was cheering him. And to meet him, he has hands, so massive hands. And I'd say to him, you know, Mr. Aaron, I call him Mr. Aaron. I says, you know, the strength in his arms and everything. He used to carry blocks of ice, he was telling me. And that's how he got a lot of the strength in his arms. Started in the Negro yeah. Leagues. Yeah. And yeah. then would uh, work his way up and 755 homers is the record. Do you, do you think that Barry Bonds really has the record? You, you allow those steroids to play a role? Yeah, well, well I, I don't mean, allow do you I don't agree with the steroids. And you want to know something? One thing I do agree, that the greatest 
home run hit of all times is Hank Aaron without the asterisks. Gotcha. And, you know, what they did that time to poor, you're a little young for it, you too. What they did to Roger Maris was horrible when they put the asterisks there, when he beat Babe Ruth's record. It wasn't his fault they had six more games. He just did what he had to do. And to put the asterisks there, that, you know, a lot of people don't know what Hank, uh, with uh, Roger Maris, it caused the mental breakdowns for what he was he going through. Right? He had, yeah, he had the alpicia coming in, he lost his hair, and people were on the air cursing at him. Oh, you can't take the babes record. Or you wanted man- they wanted Mantle to beat him. Yeah, well, you wanted to Remember Mantle I, that year? I used to drink with Mickey Mantle, Whitey Ford, and a crazy man I call him, uh, uh, Martin. Uh, uh, Billy Martin? Billy Martin. We used to drink up there in the uh, old uh, Doral Christos Steakhouse. What was that like? What was it like? How did I? How did I mean? I'm a young detective, and I'm I'm going. I used to hang out at the Doral Hotel at the bar, Momondos. So I go to Cristo Steakhouse around the block, and next thing is I, I'd see the three of them down the end of the bar. So I go to the bartender who knew me very well. He says, "Is that Mickey Mantle?" He goes, "Yeah, with Billy Martin and uh, Whitey Ford." I says, "Oh wow!" So I'm staring. Right. All of a sudden, Billy Martin says, "What the fuck are you looking at?" To me. And I says, well, I'm not looking at you. I'm looking at my hero, Mickey Mantle. All of a sudden, he get, he started getting up. He was ready to fight. I mean, he was drunk. Next thing, the bartender walked over to him, and he whispered in his ear, that's Bo Dito. He's a famous detective. He'll rip your head off. And next thing, oh, Bo, come on over here. Have a drink. After that, every time I met Billy Martin and Mickey Mantle and Whitey Ford, we used to drink together, but the only problem was with Billy Martin. When I'd be drinking with him, some guys would come in, not even bothering us, and then Billy would say, hey, Bo, those guys are looking at us. i say, yeah, Billy, they're looking at us. What do you want to do? You want me to break their heads on <laughs> Billy was a very bad drunk, but, uh, you know, this you is You would a, be calming him down. Right? Yeah, well, you know, I was very fortunate I had in my life to be with a lot of famous people, uh, dinners with Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin. I, I mean, I've, I've been, I've had a wonderful life meeting the greatest. But you started your career, and then all of a sudden, UFC, one of my favorite. I love UFC. I've always loved it, and I, I we got to try to get that head guy on there, Dana White. I mean, he put together something that is extraordinary. And you were, you were a, a announcer or a spokesman. What were you? Well, what I was doing doing the, doing the Jim Brown show. So I did stand up for about ten years. Really? And yeah. So I went out to Los Angeles, and I was doing it. You ever do Caroline's Comedy Club? No, I wasn't that good yet. I was like, uh, like uh, I don't think Car- was Caroline's the first edition was here. Oh, Catch a Rising Star! When I was a, when I was a detective, I used to hang with Rick Newman. Catch a Rising Star. He hired me out in Los Angeles. Who, Rick Newman? Yeah, it was one of my first jobs. He said to do sales. Wow. I go, listen, you're going to be going to L.A. He goes, you need a job. I go, yeah. He goes, why don't, LA, why don't you help me stand up my club at Universal? And um, so I went to Universal, one of my first jobs, and did sales for him and try to get groups in. So. Um, so I'm doing that. So I get a call from the guys I did stand up with, and they just said, Brian, you're the only guy I know in the sports. I go, yeah. He goes, do you, when are you coming home? I go, Thanksgiving. Could you come by our offices? I said, fine. It was a VHS tape. He goes, we need you to see something. So I was going to kind of blow it off. He goes, no, no, we need you to come by. So they sit down, they put in a tape of the Gracies, and they go, um, this is what they do in Brazil. And he goes, you see the guy in the bottom? I go, yeah, he's actually winning. I go, what do you mean? He goes, that's their position. Choke out. Boom, chokes yeah. him out. Boom, <laughs> chokes him out. Then they show me stuff on the beach. Then you go, we want to bring this to America, but we want to get all disciplines fighting. And we want to have one fight, four fights in a night. And you can do anything you want to do. And you want, they wanted me to say you can die tonight. 
someone could die today. I go, listen, we should not say that. That's not going to That's what John McCain drove John McCain nuts. He's like, you can't say that. That's why we could only be in Denver. So we go to Denver, and I'm doing a show with Jim Brown. They go, we need, we're wondering if you could ask Jim Brown. We wonder if you could ask Jim Brown to do it because he did the fight in Zaire, remember? Yeah. So I go, Jim. This is UFC. He goes, yeah, he's telling me. He goes, well, tell him $15,000. I'll do it. So I go, Jim says $15,000. I'll do it. He goes, good. And he goes, he wants transportation, first class, and all this stuff. He goes, first class. I go, that was it. So Jim did the first six, I think. Uh-huh. And the very first. I, re- I actually remember. You remember those days? Yes. yes. It was like the ultimate yes. tough yes. guy. Well, he was the ultimate tough guy, too. I mean, who better than Jim Brown to to be an announcer for the uh, UFC? I mean, or just a co- commentator. I mean, he was the baddest ass guy that that, that was on the uh, on the football field, on the lacrosse field. And uh, I mean, and people feared him. So one thing he told me, remember Hoist Gracie? Yeah, sure. He's... So he said to me, nicest guys in the world, right? Yeah. You might, do you notice one other thing, and, and you tell me if I'm wrong. But the toughest guys are the nicest. Nicest guys. Right? They, they know they need got to fight. It. They know they need to they fight. They know they got it. If, if yeah. anyone freaks with them, they know they're what like, they're okay, going to do. Pal, calm yeah. down. Yeah. As opposed to, oh, my God, i got to stand up for my manhood. <laughs> so when Hoist Gracie's doing this, he watches, too. And I said, uh, I go, Jim, this guy's unstoppable. He goes, Brian, you really think he can beat me? I'm 250 pounds. He's the 180. toughest mother in I go, the world. I go, Jim. Of course he can beat you. This is Hoist Grace. He's choking out guys four times. He was like 178, right? He said, body weight? Yeah. This is the comment. I never said this before. Jim told me, there's no way these guys can beat me. So he is in his 50s or 60s. He goes, there's no way these guys can beat me. I go, are you crazy? I go, they're choking out these monsters. Yeah. Ken Shamrock? Yep. Yep. And Jim's like, there's no way this guy would choke me out. Yeah, remember the tank and Ken Shamrock? Yeah. Yeah, these we were just said Tito Ortiz on Fox. Yeah, thank God. But the the thing, what he's trying to say is that all these skinny jujitsu guys, some of them took a beat and they punched the shit out of them. But then all of a sudden they would just hold on. They waited for their move, and then they moved that arm or that leg into the brace, and then tap out. Two seconds, yeah. and you know he's done. Or chokehold. And the original ones, there tap were no out. weight classes either. So I don't know if you guys do a lot of street fighting, but they say that the stats show all the fights end up on the ground. 95%. That's why these wrestlers did so well. So you had these karate guys standing up. Fine. You can hit me two or three times in the face. But as soon as they get you on the ground, you're dead. It's over. Right, right, right. Well, I got to teach that to my friend Sean Hannity. You know, he thinks he's a fighter and all that. And if he kicks me one more time, I'm going to punch him right he back. He hits you hard, right? He hits hard. Right. He's in great shape, Sean Hannity. Let me tell you, no bullshit around. Sean Hannity is a real true tough guy. I don't know if he's got the balls to punch out people like well, I do. You know do. why? But the thing is, Bo, Because <laughs> if I, he hits somebody, same with it's you. a lawsuit. <laughs> well, same with you, though, yeah. right? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you don't want to know something? I'm out of a time in my age where if i got to clock somebody, I'll take the collar. In New York City... There's no bail anymore, so you'll be able to get right out. Revolving door. So now, how did you end up where a place that I call my home for 12 years? I loved it, and I'll say it publicly. I love Roger Ailes. I love the Fox family. Uh, Sean, I even like my obnoxious friend Bill O'Reilly. I used to do his show and, and Sean's show, your show. Everybody, uh, uh, everybody's show, and I, I just enjoyed the being part of that Fox family, and I really miss it a lot. And uh, how did you get involved with Fox? Got really lucky in that you know, for uh, coming out of college, had no experience. You got to get a tape with with my business, with our business. You need a bit, you know, audio tape or video tape. They don't really care about your resume. They don't care about your grades. Yeah. So I had to go get one. So I, I formed a local show. Then I used some of that to get other jobs. Then I went out to Los Angeles. 
And then I came back, worked for New Sport. I don't know if you remember that, the precursor to ESPN News, which is 24-hour news. And that was about to go under. And then this woman who's still there today, Maria Donovan, walked up to me and goes, Brian, Fox, uh, Fox Sports is looking for sports guys. Fox Sportsnet, now now defunct. Yeah. And he goes, and Fox News is looking for a sports guy. Fox News. Channel 5, he goes, no. Fox News, looking for a sports guy. So I sent my tape in, which happens. I have 99% they come back. All of a sudden, I get this call. Brian, can you come in today? This is Tom Bird. And I go, we're having a meeting. We, everybody loves your tape. So I came in. I met Chet Collier, who is, who is the mentor to Roger Ailes. And Chet goes, uh, I really like your tape. Can you go and do a, uh, we're going to give you an audition right now. I go, all right, fine. They go, we need you to come on the, on the air tomorrow because our guy's sick. I go, but I'm on the air with another channel that nobody sees. <laughs> nobody was watching Fox News in New York. Rudy Giuliani had to pull strings to get it on a public access, remember? So I go, all right, how can I turn this down? So I do it. They go, yeah, we need you to host a three-hour show on Sunday. I go, is this happening? So I host a three-hour sports show on Fox News on Sunday. The biggest names with the best crew, the best attitude, just like today. The, the floor manager is great as a cameraman. And we're having I have a great time. And they go, we want you to fill in. And they were, making more, they were giving me more in two days, and I was getting in two months at the other place. So I walked up, gave my two weeks notice. That was 96. 97 wow. to get a contract. 23 years later, still there. Wow, 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 wow. You know, and it's just funny that uh, a lot of people started. But you, you have a great personality. And you know what it's all about? It's about your personality. And the, what you say is secondary other than your personality. Your personality shines out there. But Thanks. I got one thing to tell you about. Yesterday, I watched you. That was the ugliest suit I ever saw that you wore really? yesterday. Do you remember what suit? It's with an old stripes. One. Yeah, yeah. Take it and burn it, okay? Because normally I look at you. You look impeccable. How do I look today? You look sharp. Thank you. If your friend Bo doesn't tell you the truth, nobody's gonna right. burn that suit. I don't need to hear <laughs> all the truth. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so it is an older one. It was one of those. Do you ever look in your closet and you feel bad for clothes you haven't worn in a while? Yeah, yeah. Right? That's yeah, what happened. Okay. I got lured in. I get, it was I a do. Monday after vacation. To be honest with you, I've done that myself, too, so it's okay. <laughs> but you are impeccably dressed. But here's why you, you're successful on Fox is because you're you. The one thing that Roger Ailes always said is, for better or for worse, be yourself. And that's why he wrote the book, You Are the Message. Yep. So if people look at you and they go, yeah, I don't like you on television, I go, I have bad news for you, you don't like me in life. Because it's a slice of well, life. Well, you know what? With me, it was I tell the truth. Yeah. I don't, And that's what pissed me off on the whole Fox debacle there when I was running for mayor. I, I tell the truth. I told de Blasio what I thought, that he was a criminal to his face. I mean, I tell the truth. And when I was on doing Fox, I would do it sometimes six times a day on the different shows. And the truth resonated with people and my you know my experience life experience that I express comes across and they know you're not full of crap and when you're talking you've walked the walk you know I have my friend from the LAPD Mark Furman's good guy you know he never walked the walk like I did he did his own thing over there and I was like the the street hard roads I always watched my language well remember we would have had you on with the London stabbing yeah. how do you handle a stabbing like that what about these citizens the way they stood up well, grabbed the knife how well I mean they this to me was a remarkable thing, and that should be that should be shown to people. You pick something up, anything, fire extinguisher, garbage cans, and everybody jumps. Once you jump on top of even an active shooter in a school, if you're able to just massively attack them and body them and climb on top, I don't care if you're strong or not, you stop. But if you're going to cower in the corner and just cower Doesn't like that, work. he's going to have his way and he's going to end up shooting and until he runs out of ammunition. I love that, and I love what happened in 
9-11 with that flight, I don't love it. Of what happened over Pennsylvania when they attacked the, uh, when well, they took over the cabin and they attacked that cabin and that plane went down before it hit the White House or wherever the hell it was going. I, that's remarkable. And that's human beings. You're going to have people on the train. You travel on the train. There's going to be an incident where everybody turns away and looks away. I mean, if people band together, when they see a mass of people holding arms, locking arms together, they'll think twice about hurting somebody. Absolutely, because these guys don't want to be hit. They don't nope. want to be shot back at. They right. don't want to go to a place where the guy could be armed or a woman could be armed. That's why I'm for arming the teachers, because I'm not saying you have to, but what if you know that it's an option So and we don't see it? So if I'm an assailant, it's my first time shooting, and all these times, these guys aren't experienced killers. They're going to snap, but wait a second. If I go to the math classroom, if I go to the gym class, that guy might be armed. Brian, well, that woman might be armed. You're preaching to the choir. To me, but they have to have training. I want them to have a thorough training. And there's a lot of teachers who have military experience and also law enforcement. But, I mean, you should have that option. And then, you know what? Also, if you know you're going to go into a place where there's a possibility where you're going to get resistance, you're going to go to the place where you feel as though there's no guns allowed. Absolutely. On the, it's a gun-free campus. That means shooter, go to that campus. There. Like the church in, in, in Texas. Yeah. They're yeah. all looking straight ahead of yep. the altar. Mm. They come in, they shoot them all dead. No one really brings their guns to church. What happens? The next door, here's the shooting. You're allowed to carry a gun there. They stop carnage of the whole town. They come and blow well, it up. Well, the, the, that's, that's one of the biggest support factors are there. And we know one thing. With the advent of them releasing these, these psychopaths, terrorists, like what's happened in London, we're going to have that in America. Eventually, the max security prison, people are going to feel sorry for the blind cleric, and they're going to be released. And the oh, next thing, uh, the, the liberal values of this country that will destroy this country will start taking a presence. Like when I was on... Uh, I was on this morning with Sid and Bernie, and we were talking about China. And when Bloomberg comes out and talks about China, the, that they listen to their people. I mean, I, Michael's been up to rails with me a couple of times, Michael Bloomberg. He must be uh, smoking some hashish or crack. I've been to Beijing, China. People walk around, smog, traffic. Faces down. No one looks up. Everyone is depressed. And that's what China is. There's over a million people in concentration camps in China. Let me ask you something. Yeah. Well, how do you figure this? You, you know, we have one person on a hunger strike at Gitmo, and the world wants to yeah. raid our embassies. They have, they have locked up a million innocent Muslims right. with no track record right. of violence. Right. And where's the, where's the Where is the outrage? Yeah. Where is the world outrage? And then they're talking about, then Bloomberg says, well, they're moving the smog out of the cities. That's bullshit. I was there. You can't breathe. You can't drive because the traffic's on top of each other. And how Bloomberg will come up with a full statement between him and Biden I mean, I listen to Biden. He's a complete freaking screwball. And then you got Bloomberg there is so out of touch. Doesn't see China as an enemy. Well, like I heard they this are. morning, I think I heard, I'm pretty sure I heard on your show talking about Russia's not our enemy. One of the shows that China's our enemy. Russia's not our real enemy. If anything, they would be an ally to us. And they should be respected as an ally. China is a crazy place. And the Bloomberg's talking about the people vote. Oh, really? When are they voting for this? this they other just give this guy a lifetime appointment. Yeah, right. that's how they vote. Yeah. But you know what? We, we have a lot of problems in the world. And the, uh, the Second Amendment, to me, obviously, you could see 
you can see I don't leave home without it, and I have a right to carry it. And certainly if I see somebody becoming a victim, I will get involved. And, uh, you know, maybe when I get involved, they'll say, well, why did you have to do this? Why did you have to do that? But I'll worry about that after the fact. I'll try to protect people. My whole life I've done that, and I'll continue to do that. And right or wrong or different, that's it. But uh, so we're going back to your work day. So your work day starts, what time do you get up? 2.30. I'm up at 2.20, out the door at 2.45. Wow. Now, where, so now, did you do a production meeting the day before, or do you do it that morning? No, no production meeting. Sometimes none, because I go right to radio. That's the post-game show. Uh, we look at where we're looking at. So I communicate all via what text. What do you mean? You've you, you got radio after the show. Yeah, but that's when they usually meet after the show to set up the next day. Oh, okay. So they're usually done. I'll stop by the show Except for noon. breaking news. Breaking news yeah. takes precedence. Always. Yeah. You blow it up. And the thing is, we, we used to not be staffed 24 hours. We used to have six people do that show. <laughs> And now they just go, no, no, we don't, need, we don't need you past 12. We don't need you past 3. Now we're staffed for 24 hours. So news, I get news I get coming in, in yeah. Uh, I'm watching at night. I like the prime. I like doing what I'm doing. I don't really want to divorce myself and shut it down. So I'll be, you know, listening all day from Neil Cavuto. I'll be in the car. I doing love my your thing. energy, man. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm into it. Like, I don't really want to golf. I don't really want to uh, bowl. You got too I, much in you. Right, I just I love what I'm doing, yeah. and I'd be the annoying deli guy or the, the the waiter with an opinion or the bartender because this is what I like to do. I can't believe I get the chance to do it every day. And, and some of the most interesting people, well, the most interesting is my friend President Trump that you guys have on quite regularly, and if you guys pull a lot of stuff out of him, and he feels very relaxed when he talks to you and Ainsley and your partner. I mean, he feels comfortable on there, and when you listen to the other side, you know he doesn't want to go in there because he's going to just get beat up for all the good things the how about the veterans choice that he had passed where veterans have their cards Absolutely. they could go anywhere nobody carried that nobody carried that information well how about this uh and i am for this maybe people aren't and I, yeah. when i saw in tokyo when he signed that legislation that said we got your back tokyo the rubio bill that says we yeah. got it and the marshall blackburn uh the marshall blackburn bill that said we're going to uh, these are the sanctions going to come on china if you touch these protesters they sang the national anthem and, and they they hung the american flag thousands of young men and women risking their lives in hong kong, hong kong. for you know, i'm going wait a second this is unbelievable so the president easily could have said i got a trade deal to cut it's going to help farmers and manufacturers and everybody else yeah. i'm staying out of this but instead he signed on to it he, he, and I, I like the fact that we're the beacon of freedom still around I, the world. I just can't imagine this country not being led by him and him losing the election. I mean, one, me for one would be a very depressed guy because I know what direction this country is going to go into the toilet bowl. And I think there's enough African-Americans and Hispanics that realize what he's done in the last three years is so much more than the last eight years of Obama, the job situation, the economy. Hey, why can't I be able to, to have a home? Why can't I be able to send my kids to good schools? You can now, and that's because of uh, President Trump. Obama just would throw, they would throw like uh, hamburgers at you. And now where Trump says, no, I want to help people get jobs. Yes. Yeah. well, look, there's a couple of things. There's things he's got to get done. And I think that if he gets four more years, he's got to cut deals. And I think we got to go back. Yeah, to he's got to understand that. I t- I tip my toe in politics. My experience in politics are all lying bastards. You can't do everything you want. You have to make deals. Sure. So when it comes to immigration, no matter what party gets in power, 
They're going to undo it as soon as they lose power. When it comes to health care, no matter what you think of Obamacare, right, all the problems it has, as soon as Republicans get in there, they turn it over. As soon as Democrats get back, they turn it back. So, okay, do we get the idea that the three of us, we have differing opinions, yeah. but our goal is uh, excellent health care, right? So excellent health care for the best price. That's what we're And vote. You can't vote somebody out that cuts a deal. For example, if he cuts a deal on immigration and he gives the DACA kids who are now young right. adults and a pathway all- citizenship, people like Ann Coulter and others will say he sold out. Not really. Bull crap. You, but didn't the, you, got, you want the wall? You got to give something in life. You don't get everything you want. You don't get the deal you want on the apartment, the house, uh, the car. Right. So why is it going to be different for a constitutional democracy where you have to compromise in order to get something? It's, we forgot how to do it. It's all about compromise. One of the things, if I could talk to my president, which I last time I was with him was a couple of months ago, and I mentioned about uh, about the, uh, the the guns with the hundred round clips in there and all that, and I'm for. I, I'm, I'm a big supporter of the Second Amendment, but I think there should be some regulatory thing with the backgrounds. One, we let them wait a month to get the permit. Number two is the fact that why is it necessary for someone to be able to buy a automatic weapon with a silencer and a hundred round clip? There has to be. Here we go. Compromise again. Let's compromise. Let's not have a gun that could shoot 100 rounds. Let's compromise. Let's do an FBI background and let a waiting, 30-day waiting thing where people have to wait. What's wrong with that compromise? There's nothing wrong with it, especially I'm not a gun guy, but I, I'm all ears for people that are. So, yeah. you know, you, you know, I don't ever want to, you know, assault weapons, a slang term. The average person thinks assault weapon is the, what they're using in war. So... Um, I would want to do it. But you know the gun guys and yeah. the gun women well, are, are, you just are paranoid. Said it with, like the Coulters, who I know very well. If, it all, if, it, all, if it all ain't one way where, where you're so, so right, it's wrong. That's bull crap. And you know what? The, 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 one of the things bringing out to that issue, and if I could have my president right with us sitting here, I'd say, look, not in front of people. I would never want to embarrass the president. I'd say, look, Mr. President, what you should do is around Christmas, have your little logs going on in the fireplace there in the White House, and then start to talk about, I've been your president for the last three and a half years, here's what we've succeeded in, where we made NATO start to pay, jobs, African-American jobs, the economy, the market, everything, all the good stuff. And by the way, you know, I'm a little different than every other politician, because I like to tell the truth, and people can't handle the truth. Point is, I have to apologize to some people. I made some statements that I want to draw back on, like all the Mexicans being criminals. No, we have some real hardworking Mexican families and good Americans. And I'm sorry to you for saying that. Show humility. That's my problem. Right. Uh, but you know how he learned. I know. He learned you never apologize. Years. You never apologize. I know. And that's a narcissist, which. Roy Cohn told him that. Well, I told him that, too. I know him 45 years. I've cursed him out when he did something wrong to me before he's president. Of course, I would never curse the president out. Right. But I mean, he did something wrong to me and I went at him. And then we be- then he calls me up a month later. He says, I decided we could be friends again, Bo. But he never admitted that he was wrong. He was. And you won't get He was 100% wrong. But that's Donald Trump, President Donald Trump. He has to have some humility. And that's what the other side, yeah, they're so angry with him because he shows no humility. I think that would be something. That would be, yeah. Look at even Bloomberg. 
with the stop and frisk, that's a lot of bullshit what he said. Of course stop and frisk is a great tool. But they had quotas. You can't have quotas on that, same as tickets. You should say, look, if you have reasonable cause to stop someone, see if they have a gun on them, you should be able to do it. But to say it's wrong, that's bullshit. He's really sucking up the wind. It was only a few months ago where he said that I'd have to apologize for everything I did so I won't do it. And then he apologizes and goes. And it went away. Yeah. It went away. Now, now the point is that that specific issue as far as with the Mexicans when he made that statement, he could draw back on it and say, I've met very fine American Mexicans, some of the finest families. And I and to take it out of hole, which I said, and I was wrong. And I want to apologize. But, but, but he would say like this. I think that people misinterpreted my statement. I think most are good. I should have said it. The most are good. There are some criminals that are coming. Why not, why not come a little further back? Yeah. Why not? Because he did, he did actually couch it and say, I imagine some are good people, but they're not sending their best. <laughs> So, Brian, you're not afraid to, you know, challenge President Trump. I mean, and when no, he, he appears on your show, you know, you, you've told him, you know, what he's doing wrong. And you told him to stop tweeting and things like that during the impeachment uh, hearings and stuff like that. Right. Um, I, I just have to be I, I'm not saying it just on opinion. Uh, I research. I talk to people. And when it comes to the Syria decision, no one could ever tell me that was done correctly. Uh, when it comes to going after John, dead John McCain, no one tell, ever no tells way. me that, that that makes sense to me. No uh, way. You know, I, and that should have been an apology, public apology to John not, McCain. But still, remember, they didn't want to bring the USS John McCain by him on one of his appearances. Yeah. So he, that to me, so I would just, I would just say that. Not, but the thing is, what good is my support? If it's if I ever if I support everything you do, that means I really support nothing you do because it's just knee jerk. Oh, Bodito said it, it's fine. If I say, hey, Bo, I watched the other day and uh, I saw what you said about I think you should shoot every terrorist before he shoots you. Yeah. I go, hey, don't you think it's a little severe? And we'd have a conversation. Yeah. But he he went at me last time. He goes, Brian, you're wrong on Syria. I go, not really, because you put 600 people back in the oil fields because yeah. you gave Iran the oil. And it's, if you want to pull out, I get it. They weren't in danger. We lost more people at Camp Pendleton than we did in Syria. So these guys were arming. They were getting intelligence, and they were training. And the Kurds were there. So what you do is, hey, guys, the Turks are going to come in. They're going to come in in three, three or four more months. We're going to gradually move yeah. you back. We're going to be gouging this, and this is the way we're going to do it. It's going to be a graduation. And you know what? NATO troops would have been available to go in there and provide the transition. That was my problem. Why he wouldn't call upon NATO to do it. While, while withdrawal, bring the NATO troops in there. Well, I mean, that's all part of NATO. But Erdogan's not a good guy. You yeah. know, you know. For, for he says, like, I get along with him. Okay, I'm glad you get along with him for for an international standpoint? Yeah, but we can't, can't, we can't toss the Kurds into the garbage can. They were our big ally, and, yeah. they, and, they, and they support us. To turn on them was horrible. I think he came back on that a little bit. Right, and uh, Megyn Kelly did have good ratings. He said, Megyn Kelly has horrible ratings. I go, no, he does have good ratings. George Bush did not know about 9-11 before it happened. He, he claimed that one time. I go, no, he didn't. There's well, no, no way that happened. And we didn't have the law. I was at the inauguration, and we didn't have the largest crowd ever <laughs> Right. But, but like, you know, on that, I don't know why I picked that fight. But the other one was we knew that George Bush knew about I should qualify that George Bush knew that Saddam Hussein didn't have weapons of mass destruction. There's no way. Nobody knew about it. it. Because no. I, I, you read in Mubarak, Mubarak picked up the phone and said 
to Tommy Franks. Tommy Franks, your, your, your chem suits don't fit. Do you understand when you get to Najaf, you're going to get hit by more chemical weapons, and those are not the right suits? Excuse me. Mubarak was duped. Germany was duped. And all of our allies were duped. Bill Clinton, Al Gore was duped. Mm-hmm. There's no reason to call out 43, who I think is a great person, mm-hmm. and was dealt with well, a lot I, of I, tough I, decisions. I'm more of a 41 guy. He was my friend. I sat in the Oval Office with 41 many times. Great person. And he put me up as the chairman of the Crime Commission, his daughter Dorothy Doral Bush. Great person. Yeah, and I I, I really, I, then they got mad at me because kidding around, I called the uh, 43 Fredo, because he wasn't the brother that was supposed to. The other guy, no... Uh, they got back to them? Yeah, yeah. And then the uncle called me from Connecticut. He goes, Bo, that's not nice to call the president Fredo. And I said, you know, I'm sorry. And I personally... I personally apologized for it. You know, I say kidding around like Fredo, meaning he was not the son that was supposed to get it. The other guy, Jeb, but in retrospect, Jeb was uh, no energy like the president said. No. This guy was good. Jeb's an executor. For example, you would make him, uh, you put him in charge of a, a division. Yeah. You get it done. Yeah. But he's not a great politician. But the other guy was personable. You need to be personable like you are. It's a personality that he resonates people. to people. And and 43 did, did resonate with people. He's a Hall of Fame human being. Yeah. And he doesn't have much foundation. I mean, his foundation's a little shaky, but he was able to be catapulted into that. I mean, he never no. really was a leader leading up there. Whereas, look, at Trump, I know one thing about Donald Trump, President Trump. I know him for 40, 45 years or whatever the hell it is. Donald Trump, whatever his daddy gave him and all that, he was probably one of the best builder developers, not just a developer. He knew about construction. He knew how to beat the, the trades up and get it for the best price. This is what Donald did. And Donald was able to squeeze all the juice out of the out of the lemons, you know? Right. And, and I it, would add one more thing about President Trump, and I think you guys would back me on this. He doesn't walk past average everyday Americans to get to Bo Deedle or to get to some star. He likes people. So yeah. the people in the cosmetic shop say he's nice to them. I did a I did a speech in Atlantic City, and I'm seeing these men in their 50s, 60s still working there. And they go, would you tell Mr. Trump that we miss him around here? He always treated my family so great. He knew when my confirmations were, the communions yeah. were. They're still there. So I go, wait a second. Everybody I meet is an average person. These so-called blue-collar people yelling at his name. The guy who's feeding, putting, filling in the USA Today box. Yeah. This guy, how you doing, Mr. Trump? How you doing, Donald? How's it going? He likes people. And he doesn't really feel comfortable. He likes famous people, but he likes regular people, too. Last time I was with the president was out in uh, the Hamptons at Steve Ross's house when Steve Ross took a lot of shit for having not... The big thing, the small one, right. were only 50 of us. I was sitting there next to Lindsey Graham. The president was maybe six, seven feet away. Right. And he's talking about how he took ISIS out. And he goes, yeah, we, they said it's going to take two years. I told the generals, no, we're not going to take. Fire up those F-16s. Blow, blow them into the ground. Beat them into the ground. And he's pointing at me. He goes, Bo, you know how to beat them into the ground. And I'm looking at him. He goes, I also got to thank you. This is in front of Lindsey Graham, all the billionaire guys, all the developed. He goes, you gave me the idea with the Veterans Choice Card. 
I said, what? He goes, the veteran choice, when you came before he was president, I came to him, I said, this would be a great idea. Veterans getting shit canned when they go to VA hospital. And he gave me credit. And Lindsey Graham pat me on the shoulder and all the other guys around. In front of everybody, he gave me credit for the idea yeah. for the for the veterans card. To this day, that was the greatest thing. Because if I saved one veteran, which I'm sure... I possibly was helping a lot more than one veteran. And this was something he actually gave the credit for that to me in front of all these people. But that's Donald Trump. Now, President Trump, again, I I, I tell you what, I miss him. I'm going to try to go to the White House for Christmas. I'm going to, I saw how beautiful the first lady designed it. It looks beautiful. I'm I'm going to try to weasel my way into the party. All right. The one thing I do have to tell you is that um, I do like this other thing that you may like. And that's history. Yes. You know, I did George oh, Washington's Secret yes. Six. I did Thomas Jefferson, the Tripoli Fire. It's our first war on terror. Andrew Jackson, Miracle of New Orleans, a 13-year-old orphan, ends up being a militia general, two-term yeah. president. True American story. With this Sam Houston and the Alamo Avengers, uh, I think that in New York, where we grew up, we don't learn much about this. We get a day. Yeah, in and, in Texas, know- they get fourth, seventh, and eleventh grade. And when I'm touring Texas, they're all saying, well, my, grandfa- my great-grandparents fought in this. And what we were able to do inside a year, 60 years after the revolution, I was amazed for the last now, two years. How did you do your research this. on this, Brian? Go, I went. Where do you find the time? Well, I did it over the course of two and a half years. And I'm doing Fox Nation now. And my, my series is called What Made America Great. And, and my first and stop was the Alamo. And wow. you're doing all the books. Yeah, so I'm doing 40 minutes. Wow. Well, uh, it's separate. I said, I, I go, I need another idea for a book. I thought I was done. And when they told me the Alamo, don't just tell the story of the Alamo. Tell the story of San Jacinto. Tell the story of how it started. Tell it Stephen F. Austin, Moses Austin, his dad. Tell them to make sure people understand that Texas was never... It's not that we took Mexico. It's not that we took it from the Spanish. It was in the Louisiana Purchase. And for some reason, we could not settle it with the Spanish. So we said, if you just give us Florida, you could take Texas. Mm. And when Spanish couldn't populate it, Moses Austin went down there and said, hey, I got a bunch of people running from the law, coming from bankruptcy, bad marriages, wanted a fresh start. Land was getting too expensive here. 50 years after the revolution. So they go, can we come down there? He goes, bring 300 families. So they bring 300 families, they clear the brush, they grow the land, it starts prospering. Then Mexico gets their freedom, and they start, they have an 1824 constitution. They go, no problem. We still stay with Mexico. But now we have nine out of ten people are Americans. There's, Mexico couldn't populate it. So when they, just, when they decide, Santa Ana decides to rip up the constitution, they go, excuse me, no more freedom, no more liberty, no more due process? Those are fighting words. Santa Ana says, I don't care what you want. We're putting our own governors, our own mayors. He goes, we're Americans. We demand freedom. We're going to live by your constitution, 1824. In 1835, you take it away. Then we're going to fight. And then that's where we pick up the story. Wow. How interesting. And American history and world history is one of my favorite. And I was pretty good at it in school because I was interested in that. And these books are so interesting. And the research that you do, it's, it's remarkable. Hey, the Texas Rangers... Texas Rangers would be a great book for you to do. You're like the 20th person that told me that. Let me tell you something, because these were criminals. These were criminals that assassinated people and everything else about them. I think Martin Scorsese's doing a, uh, doing a, well, I think he's doing it on G-Men, you know, the original right. G-Men down in Texas. And again, the Texas Rangers 
were criminals. And they were the worst son of a guns, and they massacred Mexicans and Indians and stuff. That would be a great book. The Real Texas Rangers. Hey, tough shit if people don't like to hear the truth. I'd like to know the truth on that because I had, over the years, I remember I did a little bit of research on it, and they were bad guys. The original Texas Rangers were bad guys, and they killed a lot of people. That's a great book for you. Right. Now, here, before we go, now I don't want to go yet. I want you to order each one of Brian Kilmey's books, pay retail, order each one of these books, and I want to send them to my oldest brother who's still alive. He loves these books. My brother Frank. This is All right, last I'll brother. sign this one to him. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, that would be great. Okay. That would be really great. My brother Frank, he's my surviving brother. Right. Uh, so so now you that was our last book we were going to talk about with Sam Houston. We talk, but did you ever go to the Alamo? No, I'd love to go. You know how big the Alamo is? Whenever you watch the John Wayne movie when they had the ladders going up, there when Santa Ana's troops were coming there and Davy Crockett swinging his rifle. When you go over there, you could pole vault all the way to the Alamo. The walls are so so low. I thought the Alamo was an immense thing. But I'll tell you, uh, Bo, this is going to be a perfect story to end with, and you're going to like it. Uh, we talked about the bushes. George, we did. They let me do an hour special on the book. Yeah. And it goes, Sam Houston, the Texas fight for freedom. And the last segment is George P. Bush, the land commissioner, son of Jeb. And he is reestablishing the whole Alamo footprint. We are watching it. It's this big in the church. It is really huge. So, and I have General McChrystal. Does that have higher walls? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, so that's what I I see was just the church. Just the church and the the long barracks where most people were killed. So what you're going to see is a reestablishing of the footprint. Phil Collins, the singer of Genesis, is the number one collector of Alamo memorabilia, donated it back, said if you redo this footprint, you can keep it. If you don't, I take it back. So George P. Bush is overseeing it being done. Wow. You keep your eye on this guy because he's going to be a successful politician because he is open, he's honest, he hears all sides. And now he, we, if you go back and walk around through the Marriott, all of a sudden you look down and you go, what's that? Well, that's the Alamo Wall. And you're walking way back. Wow. So the Marriott, Ripley's Believe It or Not, all those stores are going back off its building being wrecked, and they're going to reestablish it. I huh? love that, because like I said, when I went to San Antonio, I said, this is the Alamo? Because I've always studied it as a kid, because I always thought it was so, so much Oh, it's going to be even better, but it means so much to the people of San yeah, Antonio. Yeah, well, I, listen to me, Brian, so, you know, we do our uh, little thing every week. We have Punk of the Week. Punk of the Week means what's really bothering you today. It could be a situation, a person, or what. What bothers you this week? What bothers me, two things, the, the lack of publicity, the civil unrest is causing in Iran, our nemesis for 40 years. These people are so abused by that horrible regime. Our sanctions are working. They rose up. They protested. These guys from 26 to 35 because they're unemployed hmm. and they're tired of their money going to terrorist organizations and they're being shot in cold blood. There's about 700 just shot dead protesting. Nobody's talking about it. Number two, this Adam Schiff's declaration yesterday that not only is he sticking with impeachment, he's going to expand the investigation and maybe fold in the Mueller probe. I said, my goodness, that you care nothing but about yourself. The country doesn't want this. They're fed up with this. We have an election in 11 months. Let it be decided here. And to me, that is just arrogance and insensitivity. Those are the two things. Wow. What about you, son? Lots to choose from this week. Um, I would have to say Lisa Page. You know her interview. Great skank. She's, yeah, she's uh, you know, claiming crime. Use the word skank. And you know she's disgusting. She's politicized the FBI, denigrated the reputation of the fine institution, and now she's looking for sympathy. It's terrible. Well, that's good, but I I just gotta 
stay local on this. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the investigation by the city council, Councilman Torres, into the mayor, his wife, and the head of the Board of Education, uh, which is this Mexican guy, Mexican-American, uh, uh, what's his name? Carranza. Carranza. Where any investigation by the Department of Investigation to any one of those three is completely shut down. And I called upon the United States Attorney's Office to investigate it because our Attorney General is not doing it. Our state is not doing it. So when you have corruption in a major city like New York, you have to use the United States Attorney to come in there and gut out the corruption to pay for play. She had, the mayor's wife had up near $850 million, Operation Thrive, where this money went in the last three and a half years to Sinful. organizations which were nonprofits, and she can't explain what she did with $850 million. I'll explain. There's a back door with these uh, nonprofits, and there's piles of money which were going to be laundered through that. And I'll guarantee you, if it's investigated, they're going to see hundreds of millions of dollars. Are you volunteering? I would do it tomorrow. I'd do it tomorrow, honestly. I'd like to interview him. I'd like to, to interrogate the mayor. I could take, you have to wake him up first. I could take an arrest for punching him. I could take an arrest for punching Shift. I'm, I'm stymied in between who I'd rather punch. Because Shift bothers the shit out of me. And he's a United States right. congressman. I know it's a federal crime to punch him in the face. But I may take the collar. Right. I, I guess just, you can curse on this podcast. You yes, we can. can. Yes, we can. Well, I can't thank you. It's great seeing you again. It's great. How did, he, how did he get to you people listening? Oh, yeah. If you go to BrianKillMe.com, you can get a personalized copy or any copy you want. You can find out where I'll be. Um, I know this airs next week, so I'll be all over. I need a pen, but uh, I know this airs next week. But I'll be um, uh, I'll be all over. Where will I be in my final week of tour? Oh, Houston! Wow, I'll be going back. And how many copies have you sold of this? Is this on a bestseller list? Yeah, it was uh, number two to Don Jr. To Frank. Uh, to uh, Don Jr. It's now number five because I dropped behind Elton John, Governor Haley, and Don Jr. and Michelle Obama. Why Michelle Obama two years later? I don't know. Did she wrote another book? I guess she wrote another uh, another insert into her book. Like, <laughs> America loves her. Oh, edition. boy. And uh, I hate to say, if she ran for president, she would, uh, I don't even want to say what she would do, but uh, it's unbelievable. People just love entertainment. That's all they love, entertainment. So... Thanks, Bob. Well, thank you, and great uh, to see you. Best, happy Thanksgiving, uh, back at ladle, and uh, Merry Christmas. Can we say Merry Christmas anymore? Absolutely, and I'll be, I'm I'm in home. WABC carries the show, so I feel. All like right, it's so my where, home. no, no, you got to get where where you can contact you. What's your? Uh, oh, go to BrianKillMe.com. You can write me. I get all the emails, and you can listen to the show, the Brian Kilme Show, live every day, nine to noon. The podcast is all free on iTunes, but most of all, if you're in the New York area, I get calls from people streaming WABC around the country. Yeah. So they like. I'm like, how are you listening? What streaming WABC? Well, let me let me end this show like this. I met a lot of people. You've got the energy of unbelievable energy, and that's why you are where you are. Maybe you didn't have the foundation, have all that education to be where you are, knowing every topic. Your reading, your research, you do for your books, just make your mind just so tweaked.
You've got a great mind. Keep eating the fish oil, okay? All right, you got and it. Brian, thank, thank you for coming you. on the show, man. All right, man, thank you. All right, thanks to Brian Kilmeade. Check out Sam Houston and the Alamo Avengers. I just started reading it, so really interesting stuff. Uh, you could follow us on social media. We're at One Tough Podcast on Twitter. Bo is at Bo Deedle on Twitter. And you could send us any kind of emails, Podcast at gmail.com. We read every one. Got a great uh, month lined up with some great guests, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.